Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Well, let's take our Bibles. We're going to turn over to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter number 3. And if there's any children that'd like to uh, head on downstairs, you can uh, follow Mr. O and uh, Miss Maria. Now, before we uh, read our text here this morning, we're going to be looking at Colossians uh, 3, verses 5 through 7. Uh, I, I wanted to preface our time together here uh, for this week, but also in the, in the next few weeks as well coming, that uh, we're going to cover some specific sins that as believers we all have struggled in or may even uh, still be struggling with from time to time. And the sins that we're going to discuss may make us feel uncomfortable And I want to let you know I'm not here to pick on you, to condemn you, or to um, uh, make you feel bad. Um, The truth is, is if you are allowing sin to reign in your life, the only reason why you should feel bad about that is because the Holy Spirit is convicting you of it, okay? And uh, so the things that that we're going to talk about... I want to reassure you that the purpose of us dealing with sin is not to condemn, but to remind us of God's Word, and it commands us to be putting away the sinful desires of the flesh, to be killing our sin, to be putting away uh, specific sins that characterized our old way of life. And uh, as an elder and a preacher of God's Word, not only I, but I believe that all the elders here, we are obligated to teach the whole counsel of God's Word, not just what makes us feel happy or not just what we like to hear. Uh, That's a big problem in, I believe, in our uh, Christian culture today, is uh, we have uh, people who have gathered themselves together, teachers, uh, having itching ears. In other words, they, they want to hear only the things they want to hear. And uh, so I am obligated by God to teach the whole counsel of God's Word, and a preacher that does not preach the whole counsel of God's Word is not worth his salt at all. Okay, So um, the things that we're going to talk about are going to be very specific about sin and the dangers of it. And I I hope by now, you should know by now, in the six years that we've spent time together, that I don't preach on hobby horses, uh, that we go through Scripture verse by verse, line upon line, and if Scripture talks about it, then that's what we're going to talk about. And it just so happens that right here in uh, Colossians 3, uh, beginning in verse number 5, Paul is going to start talking about some specific sins And that's exactly what uh, we're going to be talking about as well. So let's read our text here, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 7. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God 
is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. If we're tracking along here with Paul's thoughts, uh, if you can remember last week we talked about this whole idea that uh, you have been raised with Christ and uh, we are seated there right with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And all the blessings that have come from that. We have died to sin. We've been resurrected to new life in Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul's thoughts here on these next set of verses almost seem kind of out of place here. Uh, Maybe he should have said something else about our relationship with Christ. But uh, if you remember... Paul starts out this awesome truth, you know, we're raised with Christ, we've died with Him, Christ is your life that appears, and then he connects those thoughts with the word, therefore. He says, therefore, put to death, because of all of this stuff that is true in you, that you have been resurrected with Christ because you, because you have died with Christ, therefore, because it's true, put to death what is earthly in you. And uh, we, we must understand that we must deal with these repulsive deeds of the flesh, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and even covetousness. And so he connects those uh, two thoughts. And so what is Paul trying to say? He's saying that the fact that of our new identity with the risen Lord Jesus Christ is the basis of a godly life of separation from all sexual immorality and greed. In other words, we need to be in actual practice what God says we are in spiritual truth. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. If I am raised up with Christ in heaven, I need to live like it on earth by putting sin to death. So if we were to ask the Apostle Paul a question about this passage... If I'm to be living out what's true of me in Christ here on earth, what should I be putting? Why should I be putting sin to death? What would Paul say? Well, let's let him speak for himself. So I want you to notice the first thing. Put sin to death because you are commanded to. Notice the command here. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. We must be committed to murdering everything that is not heavenly in our lives, which is sin. If you remember other times Paul talked about sin that we looked at a few weeks ago, Paul is not saying consider your body dead to sin here as he did in Romans 6.11, but notice specifically his command here, put to death what is earthly in you. Romans 8.13 really gives us a good parallel to this command. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what does this command mean? Look at it again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What is he saying here? What is earthly in you? What is that? Your translation may read just a little bit differently, but it has the same idea. He's saying, put to death the sins which stem from your old nature. And they are associated 
with your bodies. So when Paul says, put to death what is earthly in you, he means kill all sexual sins and all your greed, which come from your flesh. Now note some specific things here about this command. Number one, this command is radical. Paul easily could have said, control your sexual impulses. But instead, he uses this shocking, radical language. What does he say? Kill your body parts when it comes to sexual immorality and greed. Put it to death, is what he says. John Owen said it this way, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. One Bible commentator on this passage said this, the verb put to death is very strong. It suggests that we are not simply to suppress or control evil acts or attitudes. We are to wipe them out completely, exterminate the old way of life, slay utterly may express its force. The form of the verb makes clear that the action is to be undertaken decisively with a sense of urgency. Both the meaning of the verb and the force of the tense suggest a vigorous, painful act of personal determination. Put to death, he says, what is earthly in you. You might be thinking, Mike, you told us that we already died with Christ, and yes, that's true, and so we don't need to put ourselves to death. We just need to consider ourselves dead to sin, is what he said in Romans 6, 11. And yes, that's, that's true. That's one side of the coin. That's one side of the truth, because the other aspect of that is the practical application. He says, you have died to sin, so what are you supposed to do? Live it out and put to death what is earthly in you. Positionally, it's true that we have died with sin. Now act upon that practically is what he says. And so Paul here is urging us and he's using this radical terminology to say, lay hold, put it to death. Radical terminology in the context of talking about the sin of lustful thoughts He equated that with adultery. Listen to what he said in Matthew 5, 29 through 30. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Did Jesus and Paul mean for us to take this literally? I mean, we're supposed to go into the kitchen and grab a meat cleaver and say, all right, hand, I've warned you several times now. No. Because you can cut off all the parts of your body that you want to. It still does not deal with what the real problem is. And what is that? Your sinful heart. And you got to deal with it internally. Secondly, you must radically deal with your sin. Jesus taught Matthew 7, 20 through 23, that all sin comes from the heart, from within. He wasn't talking about the thing that pumps blood. He's talking about the inner man, our thought life, the things that we think about, 
what we allow to, uh, for our minds to dwell upon, the inside of man, the thoughts and the desires. So all sin begins from our thoughts. You know, no guy ever cheated on his wife just on a whim. He thought about it first. And so we must deal with it on the thought level. Be radically uh, uh, opposed and, and, and take radical measures to deal with sin on the thought level. And uh, by tearing out my eye, cutting off my hand, Jesus meant that I must take radical action to kill my sin on the thought level. Now we must be careful here because I think there's this temptation that... You know, all of us can look good, right? All of us can put on a good show, put on a good air about ourselves that we got it all together, but inwardly we are actually dealing with some serious stuff. And uh, so we got to make sure that, you know, it's not just how we look on the outside, right? That we're dealing with this stuff internally and uh, making sure that we're, we're dealing with it on the thought level. So putting to death what is earthly in you with regard to immorality means forsaking and confessing any lustful thoughts the moment that they occur. The moment they come into my mind, we deal with them on the thought level and we do not allow them to proceed any further. I must immediately separate myself from those thoughts and acknowledge them to God as sin. It means guarding what we allow to come into our eye gates. You know, it's, it's one of those things that a lot of the things that uh, we see today, watch, view, uh, those things are forever burned into our memories and our thoughts. And so we got to be very careful of what we're allowing to come into our eyes, right? Because we want to make sure that we're dealing with these types of things. Here's the third thing. God will not do it for you. Notice what Paul does not say in this command. Paul does not say, let go and let God deliver you. He does not say, pray for deliverance from this sin. I can't tell you how many times I have talked with uh, individuals, Christians that uh, struggle with uh, pornography or even uh, same-sex attraction, and uh, they, they've said things like, well, I, I prayed that God would just take this away from me. God doesn't say he's going to take it away from you. What does he say? You got to put it to death. You have to do your part on it. Put it to death. That's what he says. As I stated earlier, the command is based on the truth about our identity in Christ, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Because of who we are in Christ, we are to take this action and we are to do it by the Holy Spirit's power relying upon Him. God gives us the power to put it to death. We have the power to say no to our sinful flesh. We have power to control our lustful thoughts. Because we've been resurrected with Christ. We have new life in us. And we are drawing that power from whom? Yourself? From Christ. Because He is the vine. 
We are the branches, and we draw that power from Christ, and we have the Spirit's power relying on Him. And so we must take whatever action is necessary, however radical it may be, to kill our sin. Paul commands Timothy in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee immorality. It's a war that you don't win by standing and fighting. You win by running in the opposite direction. Even though it cost him his job, even though it cost him uh, his, uh, uh, his, his position and it landed him in prison, uh, Joseph there uh, when he was in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife came to him and said, Joseph, Joseph, hey, Daddy's not home. Come on, Joseph. I want to go show you my bedroom. What did Joseph do? He said, I'm out of here! And he ran and she grabbed his coat, right? He did whatever he could to deal with the sin. And he says, I'm out of here. And he ran away. See, God puts the responsibility for active obedience and sexual purity on me and on you. It's not an impossible command to obey because God wouldn't tell me to do it if it was otherwise. Any command that God gives us, we can obey. It's possible for us to obey it. Titus 2.11 through 12 says, instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. So the command is that I must take whatever radical action is needed to kill my sinful impulses and greed. So what are we to be putting to death specifically? Well, let's look at these sins that Paul lists here. He lists four sexual sins plus greed, which really greed underlies all sexual sin. Uh, you find it all the way in Scripture. Anytime you see sexual sin mentioned, greed is always mentioned in connection with that. Uh, even though greed, it, I, I would say also greed has a broader sense uh, in, in that. But in this context, it's always associated with sexual sin. So here are the sins specifically that we are supposed to be putting to death. Here they are. Number one, immorality, sexual immorality. The word translated from the Greek is the word pornea. It's the uh, same word that we get our word pornography from. The word is a broad term for any sexual activity outside of a heterosexual marriage, meaning one man and one woman for life. Okay? So any type of sexual immorality outside of one man, one woman for life is sexual immorality. This includes pornography, sex between unmarried partners, adultery, homosexuality, child molestation, and bestiality. And since all those sins begin in the mind, we must avoid any sort of media that tempts us towards those sins. Have you noticed in our culture how they are trying to normalize sexual immorality? What are they doing? They're pumping it out. Pumping it out. And it's coming into our homes. They're trying to normalize it to make it normal. Let me give you a few statistics on sexual immorality here. In 1988, this was well over 30 years ago, uh, a study was done on pastors and those in the ministry 
The report showed that almost one-fourth of pastors admitted to doing something sexually inappropriate with someone other than their spouse since entering the ministry. 12% specified that the inappropriate behavior was adultery. 20% of pastors said that they looked at sexually oriented media at least monthly. That was before the internet even existed. This was over 30 years ago. Christianity Today reported 23% of those who are not pastors admitted to having committed adultery. The Barna Group found that 56% of people under the age of 25 think that not recycling is wrong, but only 32% think that viewing porn is wrong. The same survey found that nearly half of young people actively seek out porn monthly or more often. In the church, 21% of youth pastors and 14% of pastors admit that they currently struggle with using pornography. A study conducted in 2006 found that about 84% of people between the ages of 18 and 49 have watched pornographic films, either rented on or watched them on TV. Another 82% had viewed pornographic magazines. The median age of first exposure to pornography is now only 14 years old. As many as 93.2% of boys and 62.1% of girls first see porn before they turn 18. Now that's the facts. We live in a very sexually charged culture today. Sexually immoral culture. And Paul says, if you have been raised, if you have been resurrected with Christ, you are not to be living this way. You are to be putting to death this kind of stuff in your life. We live in a culture today that values individual freedom, pleasure, self-expression, and being true to yourself. And believers in Christ should not be living this way, and we are to be putting these fleshly desires to death. Here's the second thing that he mentions. He says impurity. Now, impurity is similar to pornea, but it also includes impurity of thought as well as deed. It reminds us that sexual sin defiles us. Now, I don't, I don't think we really don't grasp how disgusting and defiling what impurity is. And um, I'm not trying to be crass or vulgar here, but let me just kind of give you an illustration of this. If you had a clogged toilet, and instead of using a plunger, you decided to use your hands... After you plunged your hand there into that dirty toilet, your hand would be defiled. And immediately the thing that you would want to do is wash it probably about a hundred times. Okay? And probably you'd probably say, honey, turn up that turn up that heat on that uh, on that water heater, I want to make sure we burn all this stuff off, right? Because it's defiled. And the reason why you decided to use your hands was not because you didn't have a plunger, but because you wanted to use your hands. That's the idea of impurity here. When we 
when we give our minds over to impure thinking or give our members over to commit any type of sexual sin, we are defiled. And it's as if you stuck your hand in that dirty toilet because you wanted to. Sexual sin defiles us and demands God's immediate cleansing. Here's the third and fourth uh, words that he uses here. He says passion and evil desire. These are really similar. And they both focus on the strong inner emotional lure of sexual sin. This is having the wrong sexual desire. There is a godly sexual desire. And then there is an evil sexual desire. That's why he says here passion and evil desire. They're both connected together. Paul elsewhere describes such feelings as burning. In uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 9, he talks about burning with passion. Uh, These words show that these feelings are not easy to deal with. They are powerful and you're not usually in a calm, rational state of mind when they burn within. But if you don't control them, they will enslave and consume you. And you say, Mike, do you battle sexual immorality? Yes, I do. Mike, have you been tempted with sexual immorality? Yes, I have. Mike, have you succumbed to sexual immorality? Sad to say, yes, I have. We must deal with it on the thought level. It's real. And if we're not dealing with it, it will consume us. Here's the fourth and final word that Paul says this. He says covetousness or greed, which he equates with idolatry here. Other places in God's word mention greed in the same context as sexual sin. Uh, that's Romans 1, 24 through 32, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, and Ephesians 5, 3. Now in this context and others relating to sexual immorality, greed is an uncontrolled desire for more and more sexual immorality. It's greedy because its desire is, I can fulfill myself without regard for God or for others. And it's idolatry, because he says, covetousness, which is idolatry? It's idolatry because I am putting myself in the place of God. I want to fulfill my own desires, and I want to worship my own desires rather than God. And it's closely associated with idolatry there. All sexual immorality has greed at its motive because it's based on personal gratification, not on permanent love and commitment to the other person's good. So this is God's command here. This is what he desires for us to do. He says, put these things to death. You've got to. And Paul goes on to show us the seriousness of these sins by showing where they lead. So here's the second thing. Put sin to death because of the wrath of God. Notice what he says here. Put these things away. Put them to death. What is earthly in you? Verse 6. On account of these, what? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And what does this mean? It means that those, who's, those characterized by these sins will face the wrath of God. 
And we don't like to focus on God's wrath. We'd rather focus on his love. But the Bible is full of references to God's wrath and his judgment on sin. Jesus spoke frequently about hell and judgment, including the verses we looked at uh, earlier about plucking out the eye, cutting off the hands. Um, he called it a place, he, referring to hell, he called it a place of outer darkness, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Matthew 25, 30. He called hell a place of torment and agony, Luke 16, verse 23 through 24. He talked about hell as being where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, Mark 9, 48. So you cannot say that you follow Jesus and yet reject his teaching about hell, Okay. Uh, it's real, and Jesus talked often about the wrath of God with those things. The Bible often connects God's judgment with sexual sin and greed. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah because of sexual immorality and greed. That's uh, Genesis 19 and also Ezekiel 16:49. Hebrews 13:4 uh, warns, "Let marriage be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled." For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Revelation 18 shows Babylon reveling in sexual immorality and greed just before God's judgment falls upon them. Now those verses should scare you. Because the wrath of God is coming for those whose lives are characterized by sexual immorality. You see, fear of God's judgment is a legitimate motivator. It should motivate us to think twice before we engage in any type of sexual immorality in our lives. God's wrath means that he stands in fierce, settled opposition to such sin. And the fact that he hasn't judged it yet... And that evildoers seem to be having this wonderful time enjoying themselves and having pride parades and all this kind of other stuff, right? Because they're enjoying it doesn't mean that the wrath of God is still not coming. In fact, it tells us that they are storing up wrath for themselves on the day of judgment. It's just like they're taking a shovel and they're going, okay, here we go, more wrath for me. And they're just storing it up, storing it up. So God's wrath is coming, and God gives us this strong warnings because he loves us and doesn't want us to come to such an awful end. So you say, Mike, does this mean that as a Christian, if I'm tempted with sexual sin and I do sin, that I'm going to hell? Well, remember your position in Christ. You are in Christ, but you still have a sinful nature that you must put to death, and at times we may find ourselves not winning the fight against sin. But just because the telephone of sin rings does not mean that you have to answer it, because you have the power to say no in Christ. You can say no, because I've been resurrected with Christ and I have died with Christ. My sin nature has been put to death. I can say no to it. I have power to say no to it. But sometimes that does not happen. And you might be thinking then, well, what is Paul talking about here then? It's a warning. It's a warning to those whose lives are characterized by sexual immorality and greed and are not God's 
people. They never were God's people. They live a life of sexual immorality. They never repent. And they continue in it without any remorse or wanting to repent. He says, these people, these people, the wrath of God is coming. And so it's a warning. And they stand in danger of his awful wrath. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. If you continually live a life like this, he says, you're not saved. You never were saved. And he says, the wrath of God is coming. So if Paul ended the message here, that would be pretty hopeless, wouldn't it? It would be pretty hard. But Paul puts forth gospel hope to all of those who know Christ and those who do not know him as well. So here's the third and final thing here. Look what he says here. Put to sin, put sin to death because of gospel hope. He tells us, put these things to death. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. But look at verse number seven. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Walked and living in them. This shows that these were not occasional sins, but rather the former way of life. We walked in them. This was our manner of life. This is how we used to live. And he says, because you have been transported from, from death to life, he says, live that way now. Don't live in this old pattern, this old way of life anymore. You used to live in them. You used to walk in them. But don't live that way. And that, those things there, you once walked, you were living in, all those are past tense, past tense. As Paul wrote after warning the Corinthians about many sexual sins, including that of homosexuality and greed, in 1 Corinthians 6.11, listen to this gospel hope he says here. He says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now, I would be very foolish to think that even here in our family that there might be some of you that are still tempted with some form of sexual immorality. Um, I want you to know that I and the other elders here desire to help you gain freedom from that. And if that's something that you struggle with, if that's something that's, that, that seems to consume your life at times, I want you to know that there is hope and there is freedom and and. We want to direct you towards that. We want to help you. We're not here to condemn you. We're not here to, to, uh, to beat you over the head with the Bible. We're here to help you. We want to help you. Because Galatians tells us if a brother is overtaken in a fault, he says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. And so that's our heart's desire. And so if you're, if you're enslaved in that kind of stuff, I want you to know, bring that out into the light and deal with it. So that way you can be totally mature in Jesus Christ and not bound by any type of sexual immorality uh, in your life.
Now, here's the gospel hope. Notice the connection Paul makes here. Verse number 6. On these, right? On these, the wrath of God is coming. On those whose lives are characterized by that sin. But in verse number 7, those that are in Christ, there was a change. What happens? The wrath of God is not coming on them. Why? Why? Because at the cross, Jesus was judged and put to death for our sins. Jesus took the wrath of God. And so if the wrath of God is not applied to your life through Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is coming for you. And so Jesus took that punishment. Jesus took that wrath. This is gospel hope. Those of us that are in Christ, the wrath of God is not coming because Jesus, our Savior, took the wrath of God. And so no matter how enslaved to sexual immorality, greed, or any other type of sin you may be, there is hope if you will come to the cross of Jesus Christ. God's wrath and His love met at the cross. And Jesus bore the wrath of God's judgment on the cross so that God could freely pour out His love on those who put their trust in Christ. As Paul testified in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. No sinner is beyond the reach of God's grace. No sinner is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness and mercy. None. Because Jesus took the wrath of God for you. And you can have complete forgiveness in Christ. And so fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to become captivated by Christ. See, that's the problem that was going on here in this church in Colossae, is Jesus had become kind of clouded. They didn't have their full attention and their full focus on Christ. And they weren't captivated by him. And Paul's trying to bring their attention back to Jesus and say, here is Jesus in all of his glory and splendor. Take pleasure in him, not in your sexual immorality. Take pleasure in Jesus, not in your greed. Take pleasure in Jesus for who he is, not what this sexual immorality may be promising you just for a moment. And so we got to get our minds thinking on heavenly things we got to get our minds focused on Christ, who He is. we got to renew those, the, our minds in Christ and have our pleasure centered on Jesus, not on things that are here on the earth. Put to death what is earthly in you. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.